I remember when Blake and I had the idea to start JTalk over two years ago today. We were sitting in the Swanson Hall, seventh floor neutral zone, and Blake was like, man, we should start a podcast. And I was like, we should start a podcast. Why don't we start a podcast? We're funny guys. You know, you got some level of skills in conversation. I think that's arguable. But, uh, but, but then we did, and there wasn't anything to it. And, and we talked about anything, and there wasn't structure. And people will always ask me, when you, say, when you say that you have a podcast, people ask you, they go, what's your podcast about? And with JTalk, I would always say it's, it's not really about anything. And although I think that could be viewed by so many as a flaw, I think that that was the best part of it. I think that's why I had so much fun doing it over the past over two years now. And I think that's why I enjoyed making every single one of these episodes. I am wildly grateful to Blake and Nick Zay and Jack Stamper and all the individuals who really helped us start this podcast and the people who supported it from the get-go. There are so many other people out there that really helped out, and that means a lot. And, and this was by no means a commercial success, but, but, but there was always something when I would talk to Blake or talk to the guest, and you kind of forget after about 15 minutes that you're recording and it's just a conversation. And then when someone would come up to me on the mall the next week and say, Man, that was the dumbest story that you just told, or or you thinking there? It always shocked me. I never thought that anyone listened to it, and for the most part, no one did. <laughs> but but some people did, and 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 thank you, thank you for doing that. That means a lot. So, without further ado, we have the last episode of J Talk today. We welcome on Creighton President Father Hendrickson. When you put out a podcast, do you kind of edit and tighten, and how, how does that work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's honestly like, um, so we like have two recordings, like one from each microphone, put them into one thing, and then as they're synced up, yeah, could just cut anything that's maybe like a dead part or something that yeah. doesn't really belong in the interview. Okay. And early on, we definitely were not. <laughs> oh yeah, we're not we, skilled interviewers. I don't no. know if you know this or not. <laughs> I, I, I've seen that you've been interviewed on CNN and some other pretty big places. That's not the quality that you're going to get today, I don't think. Yeah, maybe more of a I'll be the judge. I'll be yeah, the judge. Good, I might good. be more impressed, actually. When Blake and I were going through these interview questions and talked about things that we wanted to hear and learn more about you and talk to Creighton students, one of the big recurring theme, themes that kept coming up was your childhood. And we know that you grew up in Fremont, Nebraska. We know that you have a twin brother. Can you talk more about growing up and what that was like, especially with having a twin brother? That's got to change your childhood a little bit. I'll tell you, growing up in Fremont, Nebraska was a, a good experience for me and I think a, a good place to be nurtured and formed and uh, just a nice community with great values, a safe community. Mm-hmm. And um, we grew up as you know, lifeguarding at the local swimming pool, which actually was huge. It was a Olympic-sized pool with um, maybe on a, on a hot summer day, we'd get like 600 kids there. Cool. So it was a big city pool, uh, rode our bikes to work, rode our bikes to school. 
So it's just a, a good environment. Um, so I have an identical twin, as you mentioned, yeah. and then an older brother. And the three of us are pretty close. The three of us are all in higher education. We've all got PhDs and, you know, at the grind every day and the, the good work of educating others mm -hmm. in, in this kind of um, level of education. Um, Scott and I have always had uh, fun as being identical twins. So, you know, every now and then playing tricks on people in school yeah, yeah. or teachers or just trying to shake it up. I will tell you this. Um, like one of you, my mother was a psychology major when she was in college. And um, so she was determined that we shouldn't dress alike when we were growing <laughs> up as identical twins. We're both Jesuit priests, so we're dressing alike. Not really much you can change the now. The rest of our lives in black suits. And I, I know some identical twins, you'll hear stories where maybe they have a, a science test and a math test on the same day. They have twin one, only study science. Twin two, only study math. And switch clothes or wear the same thing and just take both tests for each one. Did that ever happen, things like that? Or just because mom said no dressing alike wasn't really Given possible? Given my credentials and education and my position, <laughs> I probably shouldn't address that one. <laughs> I think that's Head very on. fair. Yeah, so you, you talked about how all of your siblings right now are in higher education. What do you think it was in the first 18 years of your life growing up together that led to you all finding this calling into higher ed? We certainly grew up with a value um, instilled by our parents on the importance of education at all levels, and as well as um, aunts and uncles, in fact. Mm -hmm. And so there was, there was always conversation about the, um, the achievement of higher education and, and higher degrees. I think that my older brother, that he had stepped out in front of us, of course, to get a, a doctorate in uh, political science, in fact, a PhD in poli-sci, uh, we were impressed by that. So we just kind of got following suit in our own areas of um, interest and expertise. And I had a question just about, I feel like it's hard to think, um, I, we live in the age of electronics and the age of social media. And even when we were growing up, it seemed like, I mean, I was watching TV a lot. I was doing things like that, as well as playing outside. But I mean, growing up uh, in a little bit of an older age, did you feel like electronics were as big? Were you inside as much or just strictly playing outside the whole time? I have to tell you, I grew up with a Game Boy. <laughs> really? That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's kind of all we had, and that was the best. There was also something, gosh, was it called Pong or Ping? And it was this yeah, the exactly. moving up and down. dials yeah. up and down on the TV <laughs> yeah. screen. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I don't know, it was that a training ground for today, but uh, yeah. for all the, the devices and, and things we use. But so that's about the extent of uh, technology. No, that's awesome. I think that's some, maybe even as um, a Jesuit, people don't think they play video games ever, but no, I like to hear that. I'll tell you, my, um, my father in, um, in growing up was a local barber and um, did very successful in his work. So he owned a barber shop from an early age and then started buying barber colleges. And um, mm. so as I'm a university president today, he likes to remind me that he was the first college president <laughs> in the family because he ran these barber schools around the state of Nebraska. Yeah, that is awesome. That's, That's interesting. Story. So you're at Creighton now, but when you went into undergrad, you went to Marquette University. And that was before you were a Jesuit. You're a college student just like we are today. What was your experience like at Marquette? I had a, a great experience at Marquette University in Milwaukee. Um, my brothers and I here went to a boarding school, which was an intensive, formative, communal experience. Great friendships, great mentors. 
we've always sought mentoring in our lives. It's kind of one thing that we share to talk to, you know, back then to adult figures, mm-hmm. people with experience, just get advice, and just we're always ready and ripe for those kinds of conversations. So I left this, um, you know, intimate rural um, boarding school experience, kind of idyllic in itself, and went to, you know, downtown Milwaukee to Marquette University, which is a very urban environment, very different in, in all sorts of ways. The boarding school is run by Benedictine monks, and the university, like Creighton and many others around the United States, run by the Jesuits. So that was also a, something of a paradigm shift in just uh, religious orders and values and such. But uh, Marquette was great. And, um, you know, tried and true, I found a great mentor there who was a, um, a Jesuit priest, and he was the the chaplain in my residence hall at Marquette, met him as a freshman, and then he's been a long-term university president at another Jesuit school in the United States for the last 25, 26 years. Yeah, and what type of, like, what would you say, hobbies, clubs? We want to know if you went to a lot of basketball games um, at Marquette. We, uh, my buddies and I bought season tickets. We had to buy season tickets, actually, to go to the, mm-hmm. the Marquette games. And I, there was some sort of policy change, and then they, they let students again come in for free and be in a student section. But that was just going back and forth in my Marquette days. We also changed the mascot from the Marquette Warriors, the student body. Yeah, we, we noticed that. <laughs> a big deal that Marquette is still kind of living with and grappling with today. But uh, so what, it's the Golden Eagles now, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the one I voted on was the Jumping Jesuits. <laughs> that was, uh, was that an option? One of the mascot options. There were four or five of them, and that was my vote. And it would I'm still like convinced a... I got the most votes, and the administration went the other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I like being there. I had a bike, you know, back in those days, so it was fun to go down to Lake Michigan with friends. Mm-hmm. It was fun to explore downtown Milwaukee or just being on campus. I had a couple jobs. I, I maintained my impressive lifeguarding career from high school. <laughs> For at least a couple years at Marquette, I worked on in journalism, the student newspaper. That was the old days of cut and paste layout design, which mm-hmm. is what my job was. So we'd, we'd show up for work at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock in the evening with light boards and, and map out the Marquette Tribune. Interesting. Oh, that's pretty sweet, yeah. It's totally awesome. I was wondering if you could go back for one second because you said something that really piqued my interest with your transition from high school to college. As a first-year residential advisor, I see it a lot where that transition can be difficult for a lot of students. And I know one of the difficulties that I deal with when working with these students is helping them understand that the transition was kind of rocky for me, too, at the start. And it can be difficult for everybody. So can you talk about, again, just maybe to first-year students at Creighton right now, what it was like for your transition? I have a few, as president, I have a few favorite moments when I address large audiences or groups of people as part of my job at Creighton University. And, and one of my favorites is talking to what ends up being about 2,000 parents or family members at the start of the school year when all of their first-year students are in those RSP groups mm-hmm. around campus, and I've got the parents and family members to myself. And Tiger, I tell them exactly what you just talked about, how difficult that transition is and can be. You know, especially if somebody's coming from a real nurturing environment and it's just been a real successful high school experience, a tight family, and then you just, you know, all of a sudden you're on your own. I I told the parents I think it was one of the biggest changes I underwent in my life was going from, uh, um, in 1989, from my my boarding school, my high school years, and stepping into a college experience. 
um, it's traumatic in its own right, but it's, it's, it's good and excellent. It um, calls for maturity and perspective and thoughtfulness. And um, it's, a, it's a big, it's a new chapter in life. And what kind of, uh, going from Fremont to Milwaukee, obviously a huge size change. What did you see in that? Because I also went from a small town to Omaha. Um, what were some things that you kind of noticed seemed out of place right away? Sirens every day. <laughs> yeah. Anywhere I was on that camp, it was uh, police cars or fire trucks, whatever the case. But, you know, you just uh, a lot of different kind of noise and being part of that city. I was stimulated by it, in fact. I thought it was pretty interesting to, to live in downtown Milwaukee and to have all that, that sense of commotion. I also appreciated, you know, a, a greater, richer, better sense of diversity in my life, mm-hmm. not just with the university community, but a, a city that, that offered all those kinds of different people, racial, ethnic, diversity, and distinction. It definitely gives a different type of perspective than uh, growing up in this For country. sure. Yeah, moving on to another transition that you made, you went from not just a small high school to all of a sudden Marquette in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but then you made a transition that I think few make into the life of a Jesuit, and that's something that everybody that we've talked to before this interview, and Blake and I especially, were really interested in. When did you know you wanted to become a Jesuit, and how did that transition happen? This will sound strange. In (laughs) some ways, I like to say I never really knew that I wanted to be a Jesuit. I never, never was fully certain and, um, but I had an itch, I had an inkling that um, Jesuit life could be really terrific and great. So there was this, this desire in my life that um, started somewhere along the way in my time at Marquette. And I think it was watching the Jesuits at Marquette. These were well-trained individuals having a great impact on the people around them. I loved the, loved the way they worked with students, the way the students talked about them, including myself. So there were, uh, there were charismatic, educated, well-traveled, impactful individuals doing great work for the university, really for the church, for the Jesuits, the Society of mm. Jesus. And um, I just had this sense like I wanted to be like that. I wanted to have that impact on people. So when I entered the Jesuits, I graduated from Marquette in 93. I took a year off. I actually went back to the boarding school that my brothers and I went to. My twin and I and three of our high school classmates returned to boarding school uh, to be volunteer teachers and deans of students and cross-country coaches. We had a really fun year. But I used that year to decide, should I enter the Jesuits? So I went in somewhat uncertain, but I went in following this desire in my life, thinking that uh, I wanted to trust that and, and see how I could grow in it. Yeah, that's super interesting. And what do you think Plan B would be? Plan B, if my gosh. If you didn't have that yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, 25 years later, it's hard to think of a Plan B because it... It kind of worked out so well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems like it. So as far as being a Jesuit, I think most of the Creighton students know you as university president, and that's the role that you hold. What are some other things that you've done throughout the years before you became the Creighton University president? I drove a school bus on the, uh, the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. So it was a first-year, no, second-year novice, so in that, that, that boot camp or training program for young Jesuits, that two-year novitiate experience. At some point, we're, we're sent off actually to a number of experiments, we call them. The pilgrimage experience, traveling around the U.S. with $35 to start with and a one-way bus ticket, doing the 30-day silent retreat, doing something called a hospital experiment where we live with people for six or eight weeks and physically care for them, hands-on care. The, the last component of that 
to your training is to go somewhere for about six months, live with the Jesuit community, and then embrace the work of the Jesuit community. So I went to Pine Ridge Indian Reservation to work at Red Cloud Indian School. And my job was sophomore theology hmm. and bus driving. <laughs> and um, I love driving Still hand in hand. I know, right? <laughs> I, lo- I got my CDL and was proud of it, a commercial driver's license. And uh, I'd have morning routes and afternoon routes or... Um, take sports teams around the state of South Dakota for different competitions. Um, so that's one example. I've done a lot of international travel over the years, so there'd be um, typically during my formation years as a Jesuit, a young Jesuit, um, long-time summer engagement, so 8, 12, sometimes 16 weeks abroad in India or in Central America was to learn the language, learn the culture, be with people, be on the ground. Um, great, uh, great sense of um, in a, being in a global context in such a local way, living with families, being with the Jesuits and parishes and schools. Got to think of some other interesting jobs. I liked when I was at Fordham University studying philosophy, got my master's degree in philosophy. So one of the first um, first degrees I got along the way is in the Jesuits. Um, I ran a tutoring program, and so the Fordham students, we, we recruited like 50 Fordham students, and we'd walk into the straight into the central Bronx and to a school we were working with, and we'd be with fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders in um, a really interesting tutoring program and mentoring program. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that throughout your road and the things that we've found, especially with becoming a Jesuit, uh, there's a lot of impacts that go along the way. And a lot of the Jesuits, at least, that we have that experience with on a university campus is as a professor or you as the university president. So it is nice to see the different roles that you can hold, not just as a Jesuit, but along the way of becoming one. Yeah, I was just going to say, sometimes it does seem like if someone's a priest or a Jesuit, they've always been one. It's just not like that. People, they grow up, they have odd jobs, things like that. I think that's maybe an overlooked part of um, that job. I think that's an interesting insight, Blake. And I'll tell you this, when I was discerning the Jesuits, when I was using that year to to figure out, does this work or not? I'm not sure, you know, how this all plays out in the end. But I remember thinking Jesuits can be doctors, medical doctors, lawyers, social workers, parish priests, professors, university presidents. So the the way Jesuits engage the world is, uh, is, is so broad and interesting and covers so many different kinds of bases. A place to individual talents and interests and the needs of the, the community around us and the, the work of the church. We saw one of the roles that you held was from 2000 to 2003 as an adjunct professor of philosophy at Creighton. I think that, once again, from the perspective of a student walking into a class and seeing you now every single day, I think that, that would be interesting for us at least. What was that like from your perspective? Did you really enjoy the education aspect of it? When I came here as president in 2015, I said, you know, at the start of every semester, I'm going to teach yeah. this semester. And it's just, it hasn't worked out because I've just been so busy and in fact getting busier as the years go on. And we're going to launch a capital campaign here actually next week. And so, and we're coming out of the pandemic, hopefully coming out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So my travel will again intensify. Those teaching years here at Creighton University for those three years in a time called um, the Regency Experience for a Jesuit when we're scholastics, were some of the best years of my long formation as a Jesuit, being with those Creighton students in the classroom, reading philosophy, 
and actually really just discussing kind of the matters and meaning of life with mm-hmm. the Creighton students and you know reflecting upon that myself and what it meant for me. So I felt it was actually a really honorable position is to present these really important fundamental questions for the lives of uh, our Creighton students and to to engage that conversation. So there, there's actually kind of an, an intimacy and a trust and vulnerability involved in wrestling with um, what does a faith life mean? Is there a God? How does, what, what do good things and bad things mm-hmm. in our lives mean? Um, what does it mean to be a, a good citizen? Um, what does it mean to make mistakes and have to, to kind of learn from that and move on? Yeah, and at that time, did you live in these apartments over here? I live right behind you, Blake, which uh, our audience can't quite see, <laughs> but in an Ignatius house. And um, yeah, so I lived back there and, and uh, with a number of other Jesuits. There's also Jesuits here in the building where we are at Creighton Hall. We're just now hoping to build a new Jesuit residence. We'll put us all in one different kind of facility. That'd so be that'll awesome. be, uh, you'll have to wait for the big news release on that. <laughs> yeah. So now that you are the university president, what are some of the things that you took away from being at a professor in that classroom for those three years that you still think about now when making, you know, whether it be a policy decision or working with professors directly? It's actually, it's the dedication of a place like Creighton University to our students. I mean, that's, that's the point of Creighton University. And it's, um, it's for me a real foundational sense of what it means to um, step into a, a campus like this and to engage an education that's in the Jesuit Catholic tradition and the curriculum we offer. So it's knowing that um, this is a place that changes lives. It's a place, I went to a, a Jesuit university and it changed my life and it changed the lives of the, the friends and peers around me at that time. So we're, we're about that transformation. We're about calling gifts out of, of people. We're about instilling new gifts and ideas and dreams and aspirations and and make the world a better place in the process. We have a, a great phrase that, you know, to Creighton is, a, is ultimately at the end of the day always about our students, and we need to always remember that when we're making decisions about the life of the university. One thing, and this wasn't one of the questions, but it kind of just came up, but Uh-oh, I remember. Um, curveball coming at me. <laughs> it's, it's not even, we'll probably even cut this. I am a tour guide, and I give a tour, I give, uh, over the summer I gave probably 100 tours, I've given hundreds of tours since coming. Every time we hear this video of you giving this speech, and it's the most rah-rah, you, when you graduate you become not a lawyer, but a Creighton lawyer. <laughs> do you remember that I know exactly where you're going, Tiger. Do you remember that? I and, do. And it just keeps going. And every single time, you know, the parents are just fired up and ready to go. <laughs> and like we end it, we end the video with like a rocket ship going off and like John F. Kennedy talking. Yeah. And it just is, and it just gets me going. Good. Can we put that on the podcast somehow? The... Will you post that on uh, Instagram? Yeah. No, I'll throw, I'll throw up that, that thread. What's the backstory behind that? Because it is some, it was some powerful writing and I love speech writing. As a, as a new young president for Creighton University, it was, it was something of the, the, the conversation I could create at Creighton is to remind us that the, the distinction and the difference of a place like Creighton University. You have friends at other kinds of colleges and universities, and they're going to have a great experience and a, a probably a very good education. A place like Creighton does so much more for students. Mm-hmm. So it's, and I think there's, there's a, maybe the core curriculum ends up becoming a bit tedious for students who want to move on quickly to get to the 
area of interest and the, the major and other kinds of points of focus in their studies. But it's so important, so crucial to engage the, the questions, the content of core curricular studies and ask the questions of philosophy, theology, language, literature, art. Your friends at other schools don't have to study any of that. So mm -hmm. that alone is, a, it is an important substantive difference of the education a Creighton student gets. And layer on top of that, the focus we provide for community engagement, for service work, for retreats, for leadership experience on all corners of this campus that our students embrace. So we're offering more. So, I, you know, I say go somewhere else if you want to be a doctor, lawyer, banker, nurse, educator, philosopher. Come to Creighton and we'll show you how different that is. You can be a Creighton doctor someday. You can be a Creighton lawyer and you bring so much more to the table leader-ready graduates who can make an impact in their professions and their careers and really in the, the meaning of their own lives. Yeah, so we're not just podcasters, but creating pod podcasters. <laughs> and I, I also think well that, done, that shines through with uh, your nephew, Dakota. I mean, you look at what he's done in his two years out of college. He's started a Forbes under 25 um, company. Uh, he's just killing it in the... like textile industry, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy to see that. And you can tell he was a leader coming out of this school um, compared to maybe something else. Dakota is really impressive. Now, he's the son of the dean of the Hyder College of Business, Dr. Tony Hendrickson, and we're not related. <laughs> well, we'll cut I that will, part. We'll cut I that part. definitely claim Dakota. <laughs> we were close. We were close. I was yeah. close. We were close. I don't think CNN messed that one up. That's what I'm no. saying. <laughs> Okay, so I, I want to talk about some of the current plans for Creighton and stuff we're doing in the future. Um, we just finished up, I think today is the last day that students can take the campus climate survey. What were some of the reasons that we brought that to campus um, over the past couple of years? I don't actually know when it started, but what are some of the values that you take out of that? Higher education is facing serious demographic shifts just in the next couple of years. Shifts that will impact us maybe in one of the most dramatic ways possible because it's, it's, it's a real change in the, the pipeline of students coming into higher education. So in 2026, generally, the numbers change just a little bit, but generally there will be 15% fewer 18-year-olds available in 2026, which dates back to 2008 with the economic downturn and um, couples not building families quite as quickly just because of the instability of the economy. Um, that's, a, that's a remarkable change just in how we recruit and the pipeline of students that comes to Creighton year after year. Our enrollments have been so impressive for a, for a decade running. Even this year we have our second largest freshman class in history. We know though we have to prepare for 2026. We're convinced that we'll continue to be a, a place that attracts the 1,000, 1,050, 1,100 new students each year for an undergraduate experience. We just want to be prepared for that, that kind of change because uh, that 15% mark is, is not insignificant. Um, we know there's potential and capacity for diversity, and I think we need to be more accessible to students of diversity, especially if there's, there's students who can afford an experience like Creighton University. So there's, I know for a fact in my work and being around the city of Omaha and different neighborhoods and traveling the nation, 
There are students who want to be here and can't be here because they can't make it happen. And a, a lot of that is, at the end of the day, comes down to the, the, the tuition pricing. So we're looking for scholarship dollars to help diversify our student body and, and create more access for students. I'll also tell you this, which is even a step ahead or a step back from that kind of planning, is when I got here as president, I did listening sessions with faculty, with staff, and with students. And the faculty said, help us diversify Creighton University at all levels. The staff said, help us diversify Creighton University at all levels. And the students said, help us become more diverse. So as, uh, as we look um, to the future, I, I just that's a really important um, reality I want us to achieve. We have good diversity already, 26% um, generally each year in the first year class. Um, that's, that's better than some of our peer institutions, but we can do better, especially with recruiting Hispanic students and African American students, Native American students. So the climate study, um, it, it doesn't happen often at places like our institutions at Creighton University. It's a, maybe every 10 or 15 years, if that. It's a big investment of time and resources but I just, I wanted to yield a sense of, uh, you know, where people are, how they thrive and flourish on this campus. And if there are ways they don't, we want to know, you know, what that is and, and how to fix that. Yeah, I think it's been very valuable. And something that, as far as, once again, working with first-year students, and it, it, it's been something that's been exciting for students to take, too. Not just for the free pizza that's going on, you know, throughout Harper. It's actually dedicated also, parking spots now too. So really? I saw that yeah. on Twitter today. Yeah, huh. but also for the fact that uh, I I think no matter where you are, whatever organization you're a part of, it feels good to know that your voice is valued, and I think that that's a big part of why this campus climate survey has been very popular among some of the student body, and why there's been such a push by not just administration but by faculty and staff to go ahead and fill that out too. So I think it's been stellar. We got to get the word out. We still need a bit more student participation. We're doing great on faculty and staff. Yeah, my a couple of my teachers uh, made us do it in class, which we all did. I Good. Guess. It was nice. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I had a program that was uh, you had free candy if you did it, which <laughs> did not compete with the Harper Center pizza. If I'm being honest. Or the parking dedicated yeah. parking stalls. Or the thousand dollars or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? They still did it. My residents. So I got that going for me. Another thing we wanted to talk about which sort of goes into um, maybe a little bit about that admissions thing, is that new residence hall is being built right behind McGloin Hall. Fall of 2023, sweet style. It looks pretty sweet itself too. So what can you tell us about that as far as like what's going on there? I came here to work as we talked about this a few minutes ago to teach philosophy in the year 2000 as Jesuit scholastic. Three terrific years of my life, Father Schlegel was the new president in the year 2000. I was the first year uh, teacher here on campus. And so I, I watched a new president come, get settled, evolve, unfold, so to speak. He said, I'm gonna tear down Gallagher Hall. That never happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the next president, Father Lannon, I'm gonna tear down Gallagher Hall. Well, I'm determined as Father Hendrickson to, to bring down Gallagher Hall and create <laughs> new opportunities on the west end of the Creighton University campus. But the point is, we have some housing that can be refreshed and rebuilt and, and um, updated and become a little bit more current. We have pretty good housing options already. And, um, you know, all of our options, are, each are a little bit different, have their own flavor and feel to them. Um, Opus and Davis, 
they came online a few years ago, generally for upperclassmen. That's shifted a bit over the years. Now there's some sophomores, and I think I lived in I lived in Davis last year. You're in Davis, you, or you did as a yeah, sophomore. Yeah, I did as a sophomore. Hyder Hall used to be. Um, I think it was graduate and professional students. Then it was upperclassmen students. It's where I live, and now it's uh, it's sophomores. So the, the housing stock changes, but it, it's it's time to build a new innovative, inclusive, sweet style residence hall for our first year students. And mm -hmm. it's also a point of, you know, it's a point of recruitment and it just shows us, you know, that we continue to evolve as a university, but uh, it lets me tear down Gallagher Hall. <laughs> yeah. So you can do, you can finish the mission. That's do what others haven't. We'll sell, we'll sell the bricks. You guys, did you live in Gallagher, either of you? No. I did not. Some of my friends did though. No, I, I'll be honest. I mean, Gallagher, and one of those things that when it comes to a freshman residence hall that I've seen over the years, whether working in it or giving tours and talking about them, is that when people live in Gallagher Hall, I'll tell you that for the most part, by the end of the year, they love it. Yeah, that's all I've heard. Builds a great sense of community. A yeah. group of, group of uh, Gallagher residents that are juniors now, they just ordered like 40 sweatshirts to say Galley on it. And uh, gave them, sold them to like all the people who lived there um, that year. And that, I see them on campus all the time where I am. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. So there is something to it, but I do, I, I, I do think that, yeah, with, with the future coming and looking at what the needs of an incoming prospective student are, a lot of the times that revolves around where am I going to live and am I going to have a bathroom? <laughs> right, know? right. That can be two of those big things. You talked about uh, the residence hall. We also, we're bringing online right now, and I, I just think this is an exciting time to be on campus, but we're building a, a new state-of-the-art interprofessional um, health education facility, not unlike the building we just stood up in Phoenix, Arizona, mm -hmm. which is something I'd love to talk about. 900 new learners for the yeah. a Creighton experience, but we're building this, uh, the Warner Center for Health Sciences on the northwest corner of this campus which is right up by 75 north and coming street so we show the the strong presence of the of Creighton along those two corridors it'll this new building for health sciences be a front door for the school of medicine but be a bookend to the new dental school that we set up just mm -hmm. a couple of years ago but it's an exciting time one of you is a business major one of you is a psychology major we know for a fact that about 65 percent maybe more 65% of students each year who come to Creighton, first-year students, indicate an interest in health sciences. They don't all stay there. <laughs> they kind of move around, pursue other options. The core curriculum might expose other kinds of interests and opportunities. But uh, So this is also an investment in, in students in the health sciences. The business college, the business school looks great right mm, now. Unbelievable. And the, the kinds of workspaces and synergies in that building are really exciting for students, faculty, and staff. But that's another initiative, Tiger, is this um, new 180,000 square foot building coming online in just a couple of years to bring all our health sciences students into the same workspaces. We're, uh, we take pride in the fact that the, the, the pedagogy, the way of teaching and learning at Creighton in the health sciences is interprofessional. So as a med student, a nursing student, PT, OT student, pharmacy, whatever the case is, they learn their own expertise, their own discipline. They also cross-talk and cross-work with all those other students. So they have this kind of added dimension of learning the way others work. It's a, it's a collaborative experience. Another thing that when we look towards the future, a big change that happened this year was 
the retirement of Rufus Moosen and Kevin Sarver, and the addition now of Marcus Blossom within Creighton Athletic Department. Can you talk about that? What's going on? Are you looking forward to the future? I can't be more excited for uh, Marcus Blossom to join us. He's got experience in Jesuit higher education from two other universities. He's got experience in a Big East school. He's a basketball strategist. He's from the Midwest initially. I talked to a lot of people before launching the search process to find a new AD. After 40 years of great leadership and work with Bruce Rasmussen, 27 of which he was our AD. So, you know, it's been nearly 30 years, three decades, since we've had to look for a new AD and create that leadership opportunity for us. So I'm excited for Marcus to, to join us. Um, the folks surprised me. They wanted somebody who would fit well with Creighton. Uh, gosh, find someone else that fits better. So mm -hmm. he's going to be terrific. Um, and, I, you know, it's a time to celebrate Bruce and what he's achieved. And Bruce is one of a kind. And uh, I knew when I was, was starting the search, I was either going to, you know, look for Bruce or Jesus Christ and see if <laughs> I could find a replacer. And I knew both were impossible. So um, we'll do what we can. But uh, Marcus will add a lot to us. He'll just bring a, a fresh perspective, but also a, a good cultural fit for Creighton University. Yeah, without a doubt. I think we're looking forward to basketball this year. Mm -hmm. A lot of I'm new faces there. What do we think of the team? I just, you know, I just ran into Coach Mack in the hallway right before seeing you guys, and I'm going to be with him tonight. We're at a, a dinner with a lot of our, our boosters and fans where Coach Mack at the beginning of the year, the beginning of the season, talks about the health of the team, how they're coming together, new recruits, how that's all congealing. So I'll be with our, our basketball program tonight in a very special way, in fact, uh, with the, the students, athletes themselves, and a lot of the folks that support us. Excited to see Alex O'Connor go out there. Yeah. My favorite player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think there is a sense of excitement for basketball every year, but also volleyball this uh, fall, men's and women's soccer. Hasn't volleyball been remarkable? Oh, and, yeah. And yeah. Creighton in Omaha, Nebraska, Creighton's had a, um, a real strength and interest and notoriety in soccer programs for men and women, so... I think, I think the Creighton Athletics program is really, really impressive. And again, thanks to Bruce Rasmussen and his leadership. Um, stepping into the Big East with Father Lannon right before I got here, did that happen in 2013, somewhere around that time frame, was great for Creighton. Mm -hmm. I actually, I just mentioned Phoenix a minute ago. I think opening a brand new Creighton campus a thousand miles away in Phoenix, Arizona, is another Big East moment for Creighton University, which means it continues to nationalize us and uh, show Creighton as a, as a leader in academic programs and innovation and creativity. When I talk to other Jesuit presidents around the United States, presidents of Jesuit colleges, universities, they have said, we need to do what Creighton's doing. We need to expand our mission, expand our programs, opportunities, and go where Jesuit higher education isn't. So we're the first Jesuit university here in Omaha, Nebraska, the first Jesuit university now in the whole Southwest U.S. Show me another. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's no Jesuit higher education there, so we've got a real niche reality. So, Tiger, when you're talking about the Creighton lawyer, Creighton doctor, Creighton <laughs> podcaster, we're, we're doing that in Phoenix now, too. One thing that, I, I, I mean, I don't want to talk about it too much, but it is just evident that, like, since we've been on campus, there's been a shift in even what campus looks like with the renovation of 24th Street being such a big part of it, and then also adding 
whatever we call that to the front of Creighton Hall. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it's just been, it's cool to see that a campus is constantly renovating. We have had and will have major projects come online, you know, to the price tag of 70, 75, 80, $85 million to build and to set up. And um, one of my favorites really has been the renovation of 24th Street, which is nowhere near that kind of cost. It wasn't inexpensive, but the city still, the city of Omaha stepped up and helped fund that project. Other donors stepped up excited about it. So creating a boulevard down 24th, slowing down traffic, making it a safer crossing, bringing our architecture out onto 24th mm-hmm. Street. You could pass Looks along amazing. 24th Looks Street, amazing. you feel like you're on the Creighton campus. When before, you know, you could come off a of Dodge Street and coming north, go down the hill and gain speed and momentum and just fly by Creighton, not yeah. even know it's it's a it's a campus right in the heart of downtown Omaha. So Twenty Fourth Street is one of my favorite projects to have achieved here, just uh, that we did recently, as well as the the Keel Plaza or this this patio, go. this portico <laughs> on the front of Creighton Hall, and. Um, you know, my favorite feature on that is the rocking chairs. Mm-hmm. I, they're mm-hmm. always being used, you know, morning, noon, and night. And um, I got the idea for the rocking chairs. The, the folks I was working with kept bringing me renderings. What can we do with Keogh Plaza with this new patio in front of Creighton Hall? And they mapped out all these benches. I'm like, this is not a bus stop. It's not an airport. <laughs> and I thought, let's do what we did in the Dominican Republic, which is a, a bank of rocking chairs. If you guys have not been to our Dominican Republic campus, you should go there. But a favorite feature is for students just to sit on the rocking chairs in the DR. So that was the inspiration between awesome. uh, for the, the rocking chair at, at Creighton Hall here. Yeah, the rocking chairs are sweet, too. Yeah, <laughs> they're sweet. I mean, you just sit up there and you feel... Like you got nothing on your mind looking at the sunset or something? Yeah, right? I'll sit in it before my 11 o'clock every, or on Tuesday and Thursdays. I'll just sit there and read my book or go on my computer and finish some homework. As long as you don't skip class, Blake, you can use yeah. the rocking chairs. <laughs> yeah, I think so. All right, I don't think that we have too much more for you. I guess one thing, just going back through this, that we did want to talk to you about was international travel. We saw that it took you to over 30 countries in your life. Do you have, and it's probably an impossible question, but do you have any specific experience that you look back on and you're like, man, this was, this was really special going abroad? When I went as, gosh, a graduate student in philosophy at another institution a number of years ago, my first trip to India just blew me away. I probably have been to India eight or ten different times. A lot of that was with Jesuit partnerships and relationships, some of the university initiatives. My first trip to India, I was on the ground in Calcutta for four weeks. So living a month in actually was the in Hindu India in the Muslim quarter of the city. And I was with a group of students, about 15 of them, and we'd wake up about 4.30 or 5 in the morning. We'd walk through the city to Mother Teresa's headquarters, her mother house, and uh, Mother Teresa had just passed like a couple of months before we got there. So the goal was actually to try and meet her, and at her passing, of course, we knew that wouldn't happen, but we got to be at her tomb and and then be in the, the mother house, the headquarters of the, the missionaries of charity. So we'd go to morning prayer, have a quick mass offered by, you know, whoever the visiting priest was at the time. We'd have bread and tea, and then we would dispatch out to the different projects and hospices of Mother Teresa and her team around the city of Calcutta. They're all over the world, as you know, but they have a lot of operations set up in Calcutta. But my goodness, you know, being in India, the, just the layers of 
culture, of language, of cuisine, of religious beliefs and perspectives, I was just blown away. And um, I had traveled internationally before that just a little bit, but I knew that I had learned so much and gained so much uh, kind of new perspective in my life from that trip. So I've, I kind of never quit going, you know, I had a lot of other experiences. I would say that Cape Town, South Africa might be one of my favorite cities just with its, uh, its geography, the complexities of realities of South Africa that manifest themselves in Cape Town, some of the history of um, the civil rights and um, actions against apartheid and Robben Island and just go down the list. But so I do have a, a couple key places I really like to go to. Yeah, that's awesome. So if you're talking to a first-year student who wants to study abroad, what's the place? I would Instead say just you... go. Yeah. Go anywhere. Go do something. I, I just think it's really important. I'm, uh, I'm bullish about the, the, the importance, the value, the um, greatness of our own program in the Dominican Republic. We're the only Jesuit university in the United States you know, with a footprint in the Caribbean. So Creighton in the Caribbean where you can learn about Dominican culture and on the same island of the Dominicans of Hispaniola is, is Haiti. And around Haiti and the DR are Puerto Rico and Cuba and all these other really interesting places of, in geopolitics and, and their own kinds of contributions to society. So we offer a real great experience there also just in service learning. But I just say getting out and going and being away from campus and, and hopefully in, in circumstances where a little bit um, less comfortable, that uh, kind of puts put life in perspective, makes a big difference. Super interesting. Yeah, I think we're going to try to wrap it up now. We have a few rapid fire questions for you. Blake, you want to take them? I'll go first. Um, Michael Jordan or LeBron James growing up? Devin Booker. Devin Booker, I like it. So are you, are you a Phoenix Sun guy? You know, with our new Phoenix campus, I yeah. made it to... Before the, the playoffs, the finals, um, I made it to a couple of the games on the way to the um, those playoff games or the championship series. So I was able to get in the, the new arena, the actually newly um, um, refurbished arena where the Suns play, and it was a thrilling experience. Tyshawn Alexander yep. was on the, on the yep. court. Yeah, so I have become a Phoenix Suns fan. <laughs> yeah, I think you have to be. Creighton Blue Jays, Phoenix Suns, two campuses right there for you. Okay, another one. This one's kind of a tough one, but if a movie were to be made about your life, and the movie's called Father Hennigson Tearing Down Gallagher Hall, <laughs> who are you having play you? Who you do you think? Is it is Tom Hanks? I, I was exactly you thinking know? that. I think because <laughs> fitting so, image of Tom Hanks. So earnest. How can you go wrong with Tom Hanks? You That'd can't. be a perfect one. I think. I think. Or uh, Shawshank. There, that lead in that. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. Tim that would Robbins be a good one as well. Too, I'll work with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Um, favorite Creighton uh, basketball player of all time? You know, I, I often think about all the guys on the bench who aren't playing as much as, you know, the ones who are starting and, and such. So um, I don't know if I'm a favorite player, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like them all, and, and that team experience is so important. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I think that's another good point. So many guys on that team that aren't the Tyshawn Alexanders, aren't the Marcus Zagorowskis that are out there, too. Okay, another one. Going back, I think now we all look at your university president, PhD, Jesuit, you got it figured out. Which subject in school were you the worst at? You know, I hated, because I was terrible at it, I hated art. Yeah. And I, I just always wanted to be good at it. But I, mm-hmm. I, there was people who were so, you know, my friends and were so good. So and I, I think, 
artistic expression is an intelligence of its own, so I, I always wish I could be better at it. Yeah, I think you got pretty lousy. I think this crayons. is three guys right here that don't yeah, have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I think you're in the same boat. Um, and I think this is a perfect thing to end it with. Um, just talking about you the whole time and hearing about your story and, you know, what you're doing now. Um, who is your inspiration? Growing up, maybe even now, what inspired you to be uh, the man you are today? He's recent to us in, in, you know, world history, but Pope Francis really inspires me. And it's, uh, it's a sense of what he brings through the lessons he's learned in life. And what I see in him is an incredible sense of freedom to the way he speaks to people, the way he loves people, the way he embraces the mission of the church and his own leadership role. And um, I think he's going to go down in history as a great pope. And certainly somebody who, in more recent years, you know, with his papacy, inspires me in what I try to do. That's awesome. Perfect. Well, Father Hendrickson, we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and taking some time out of your day today. Um, it means a lot to us as Creighton students. And yeah, thank you so much. Excited for everyone to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you. Blake. Thanks, Tiger. Okay. Hey guys, Blake here. Um, just want to get on here and say how grateful I am for uh, all of our listeners we've had in the past few years and kind of just how fun it was to make this whole project and kind of see it come to be into what it is. And I think that's just a fun outlet for interviews um, and just hearing about what's going on on campus. Uh, when I started it with Tiger, um, it was nothing more than an idea just because we didn't have a broadcast club and I really don't think we have one still. So hopefully in the near future, um, somebody will get on that and do it. But um, I just want to say thank you and I really hope you guys enjoyed this interview. Take a dive into that J-Talk Live.